North Korea has a long-standing history of employing cyber espionage tactics to gather intelligence. So what's being done about it? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Coming up, President Joe Biden said he may have skipped a 2024 re-election bid if he were not facing Donald Trump. Plus, a former El Chapo associate shares insider tips with U.S. law enforcement. But first... According to a United Nations report, virtual asset theft by state-sponsored North Korean actors took in a record high revenue in 2022, estimated to have reached more than $1 billion worth of cryptocurrency. The U.S. Treasury Department has announced new DPRK sanctions that are also being imposed by Australia, Japan, the Republic of Korea, and the United States. For more Let's bring in Michael Barnhart, a Mandian principal analyst with Google Cloud. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. So first, why are these sanctions being put in place and how significant are they? I think the anytime you can like put sanctions on, especially in a country like North Korea, it sends really a message to really the world, too, that all of us are in this together. Uh, everyone, we are taking the threat seriously, uh, both with the, the governments and private sector. We're all trying to get to the adversary and actually thwart and try to actually uh, make a difference. And I think a lot of uh, people really globally, we're not really trying to touch North Korea because it's more of a difficult problem. But uh, that's usually where we like to, to hit things head on. Now, the United Nations researchers, they're claiming that North Korean hackers attack cryptocurrency users, traders and organizations to raise money and avoid sanctions. Why does North Korea target cryptocurrency in particular and what makes it so attractive? You can kind of um, really go back to if you're putting a, a pinpoint on anything in time, you can kind of go back to the Bangladesh uh, heist in the 2016, 2017. The failures that kind of uh, went with that, you know, they were looking for a billion dollar payout. They were looking to, to to get a lot more on their return. And for as much work they had put into it, I mean, looking at years inside some of these networks and all the different variables that you had to, to jump through to make this big heist actually pull off. Um, they didn't want to do that again, plus just the notoriety that came with it. So as cryptocurrency and really the blockchain technology started evolving, North Korea saw that and really saw, hey, this is a much easier way to operate. This is a much easier way to launder. Uh, we can do things bigger, faster, uh, quicker, and really just uh, get a lot more bang for our buck. And that's that's really when you saw that that pivotal moment. So you see a lot of the ins and outs of this. Is there a particular type of cryptocurrency they prefer to target or do they just go after whatever is available? Yeah, they really are looking for any of that is available. Uh, you can really switch once they have the one that they will acquire still or however they're going to get it, uh, they're going to swap it for something much more uh, maneuverable. Bitcoin and Ethereum, those are your, really your popular ones. So trying to get back to those and swapping and changing them out is going to be is, is key for them. But uh, you can see there's not really any that's a that's a favorite. They they'll always go back to the some of the heavier, more notable ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum, just because of the ease of use and how uh, how easier it is just to kind of maneuver around with it. 
Now, is there any way of knowing how much crypto North Korea has stolen and also how it's being used? Well, so like you said uh, in the lead in here, you know, around 1.7 billion uh, last year is estimated. Uh, there's other open source uh, coming out this year saying around 200 million had been had been stolen up until about September. So I think ultimately, no matter what number you're going to have, it's going to be a much lower figure than the, the actual number, just because you don't know what you don't know. And there's so many hacks that are just unattributed. Uh, those may be North Korean, those may be not. So it's but they are very active in this space. And so uh, any any crypto hack these days, you can almost have a knee jerk reaction. Assume it's North Korea until until someone's told you otherwise. <laughs> Now, we're seeing these recent sanctions are focusing on uh, a particular group, also social engineering tactics to try to gain intelligence. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly that means and maybe give some examples for viewers? Absolutely. Uh, the the one that we're talking about with the, the most recent sanctions is Kim Suki. It's a, a fan favorite of our team. Um, the the social engineering aspects, I think that one of the best analogies you can probably put for it, especially with the Kim Suki or as we call them at Mandiant, uh, APT43, is, um, is, is instead of creating this cyber weapon or trying to break into a bank or, you know, do this piece of malware that'll steal all the money, uh, APT43 will use social engineering tactics and techniques to try to, in many ways, convince the, the victim to just give over everything. So in the analogy, instead of robbing the bank or breaking in, they just want to pretend to be one of the actual uh, employees or, or one of the, uh, the customers and just simply go in and ask for the money so convincingly that you'll give it to them. And that's really where they make the most with the social engineering attempts. And we see it happen all the time uh one of the most recent one of the more the ones i really like is how um north korea had shot off a couple of test uh missiles and directly after they had shot them they pretended to be journalists and asked experts in the field hey what did you think about uh the the, the missile firings by north korea how did you react to those what do you what are you thinking or what what's going to go on stuff like that really gauging uh, their own actions, and it's 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 very interesting how they operate. These these guys are very very uh, effective with their social engineering, much more than other nation states for sure. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for all of that insight. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. President Joe Biden said he may have skipped a 2024 re-election bid if he were not facing Donald Trump. He later told reporters at the White House that he would not drop out of the race. President Joe Biden said Tuesday that he might not have run for re-election if Donald Trump had not entered the race. At a fundraising campaign stop outside Boston, Biden said, quote, if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running. Adding, quote, we cannot let him win. Reporters later asked Biden whether he would be running if Trump were not. I, I expect so, but look, he is running and I, just, I have to run. Biden's comments come as even staunch Democratic voters have expressed concern in recent polls about the president's age. At 81 years old, Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Trump responded to Biden's remarks at a Fox News town hall held the same day, saying, quote, somebody gave him a talking point they thought would sound good. Trump and Biden last faced off for the Oval Office in 2020, after Trump served one term as president from 2017 to 2021. 
Biden's aides increasingly regard Trump's frontrunner status for the Republican presidential nomination as insurmountable, according to two of those Democrats who declined to be named. Recent polling has shown Trump leading Biden in hypothetical matchups in key swing states and on the national level. A former El Chapo associate is turning over a new leaf and sharing insider tips with U.S. law enforcement. The former insider once ran a multi-billion dollar narcotics distribution network in the Chicago area with his brother. I come from a family of drug traffickers. This is Margarito Flores. He used to work with one of the world's most notorious drug kingpins, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. Reuters has agreed not to show Flores' face out of a concern for his safety. By the time I was 17, I guess uh, I graduated by then, right? I had a degree in drug trafficking. Flores went from counting packages of drugs as a child to running a multi-billion dollar network with his twin brother in the Chicago area in the early 2000s to eventual informant who turned on El Chapo. Now he's pulling back the curtain on his former trade secrets for law enforcement. We're going to be going around the country and hopefully around the world and being able to share some of these um, these tactics. That's where you see money and, and drugs. Flores works with an Illinois-based firm called Dynamic Police Training. At this session near Chicago, over 100 law enforcement personnel are learning about the flow of bulk U.S. currency that finances trafficking. So I'm talking about bulk U.S. currency that that needs to be moved in semi-trucks. That is what fuels drug cartels. Between 2005 and 2008, the Flores Brothers distribution cell earned nearly $2 billion, receiving more than 3,300 pounds of cocaine a month from the Beltran Leva and El Chapo's Sinaloa cartels. That's according to federal court documents and the U.S. Department of Justice. Arrested in 2008, the brothers were sentenced to 14 years in prison. For their cooperation, they served five. Prosecutors credit them with providing unparalleled assistance for the government's case against El Chapo. As informants, the Flores brothers pressed record on an audio tape device and called him to discuss a heroin shipment. The phone call for sure, we knew that it was going to, you know, change our lives because... The government had let us know that there has never been a legally uh, recorded or intercepted call with Chapo Guzman talking about a, a drug transaction in the United States. What do they want to do? The brothers were released in 2020. Get rid of it. Flores' law enforcement trainees told Reuters his insight helps them figure out the best way to dismantle narcotics networks. I don't know if there's anyone out there that could, you know, sit here today and, you know, understand um, the American drug trade, Mm -hmm. the Mexican drug trade, as I have. I live both sides of it from every aspect. Thanks so much for watching In America Today. I'm Veronica Dudo. For more, head to tickernews.co. I'll see you soon. More right after this.